I actually taught at a, uh, at a private school for kids with uh, behavioral and learning disabilities. So I taught everything, but I had like a class of seven kids. A strong parallel to being an infantryman. I like, I like that. <laughs> I could... What's up? I'm Tyler Sweat. Cue the dramatic music. This is All Quiet on the Second Front, the podcast where boring conversations around defense tech and national security come to die. Ready to get weird and learn some cool shit about emerging tech and the government? I thought so. Let's fucking go. This is a Soul Fire production. All right, what's up, everybody? I'm your host, Tyler Sweat. Welcome to another episode of All Quiet on the Second Front, the podcast where boring government conversations come to die. Uh, We're going international today with a Canadian friend, which I'm super excited about. Uh, we've got Dave Ferris from Interos here. Interos? Interos? Interos, yeah. There it is, Interos. Uh, really excited, one, to have you. So thanks for taking the time. And uh, two, excited to just sort of unpack kind of your whole journey, everything okay. you've seen and learned, kind of what you guys are working on now, and like what does defense tech at scale look like? Because you guys are are past the phase of a lot of the folks I think we talk to in defense tech who are you know, new founders coming in. They're maybe yeah. excited. They're thinking about some traction. Um, I'm not going to say you guys have made it yet because then I'll definitely fucking jinx it. <laughs> but, you know, you're, you're up, upward, yeah. upwards and onwards yeah. right now. So, yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Heck Appreciate yeah, it. Uh, any, any time spent with you is time well spent. Um, yeah. So, in Taros, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll weave it in a little bit with my own story, but I think on the, you know, for background, Interos has been around for 18 years. We started in 2005 as a professional services company doing supply chain risk management and vendor due diligence with people in spreadsheets and email surveys and phone calls, right? Um, I think what I would say is our CEO's hypothesis was that the risk in the supply chain was in the sub-tiers, you know, below that third-party vendor level. Um, And over the last 18 years, realized that, you know, you need a technology to scale that. You can't scale people and spreadsheets at the speed of the problem, particularly in defense. And our first customer was a, was a Department of Defense customer. So, um, you know, I joined the company about 18 months ago. Um, I moved down here in 2016, but, you know, while I was still in uniform. So I'm actually an infantry officer by trade, Canadian Army. Um, kind of a very normal career trajectory initially. And then in, I think around 2014, I had the opportunity to uh, be the operations officer for our counter-explosive threat task force, which um, was an amazing opportunity and really exposed me to, I'll say, the Five Eyes community of action around you know, countering explosive threats globally and NATO as well. And, you know, this, this science and technology community, right? Like, bomb techs are innovators, you know, and, and I think in that, that fight against Afghanistan, in, in Afghanistan, I should say, um, the, the, the incredible things that that community was doing, I, I got, a, I had two years to sort of be a part of the, at the high level, learn how they do what they do, and then interact with all those really cool companies and, you know, folks that are getting after solving those problems. So I came down in 2016 to work on the joint staff uh, in the Pentagon as an embedded officer for a couple of years. And that was an extension of the fight against ISIS, where we were a small group in the Pentagon doing countering violent extremist organization type work. So 
um, when I had that, you know, that fork in the road of making the decision to uh, go back to Canada and continue on on that that you know career path that I had been set upon. The other the other fork was to get out, get a green card, stay here, and work in you know national security here in the D.C. area. And my wife and I talked about it quite a bit in our family and made the decision that if we were going to you know if that was ultimately going to be the path I went on whether I did it in 2018 or 10 years later in retirement, um, there's no better city to do it from, right? Like DC is sort of that, that hub of obviously national security activity. And so, yeah, so I was working as a consultant for a few years. I worked in a small software development firm uh, that we, you know, we, we had folks deployed into the intelligence community and Homeland Security, um, and then came into Interos as initially to help grow our partner program. Um, the federal partner program here in the U.S. and then expanding into, you know, those concentric circles outwards of Five Eyes, NATO, and again, working within that community of action. So really a parallel to what I was doing in the latter stages of my career um, and, and bringing sort of that experience into, into this company and really into national security here. I mean, it's a wild journey. Um... You know, I appreciate when you were at the fork in the road, you elected to just go suck at Canada and uh, and stay here on the winning team. That's awesome. <laughs> Could resist the urge. Wow, balls that, on a tee. That one's that one's gonna come back to haunt me. I'm sure. Good. We'll send that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll send it yeah. up to the bounties uh, <laughs> or to the mounties. Um, here's my question, though. I know we talked about this a little bit. You know, we were fortunate to have you participate in this year's Offset Symposium. Um, where we had both panels of sort of allies and partners and then companies that are operating at scale. You have the unique ability of having kind of, having come up through the Ministry of National Defense. Did I get that right? Department of National Defense. Close. All right. That was an honest try. Yeah. Um, coming up through there, working joint staff, working sort of earlier stage, smaller companies, and then working in Tyros and seeing everything and I want to juxtapose that with you seeing sort of the counter IED fight because so many people, I think, forget all of the procedural innovation that was dumped into that fight with the three-year yeah. colorless money, with the different swim lanes we were yep. able to pull in tech through. You know, what do you sort of look back now having learned and say, I wish I knew this sort of coming in or I wish I'd thought about this earlier um, you know, as you're thinking about bringing new tech, new emerging tech yeah. into the market? That's a great question because I think, um, you know, the revisionist historian in me will look back at the things I've done and say, well, maybe I made that right decision or wrong. You know, I could have done this I differently, right? <laughs> but um, so I think that time in the counter-explosive threat task force, um, I, you know, we, we were the counterpart to JIDO, right? Well, there were 35 of us, I think, in Canada in our task force compared to the 900 in JIDO and, you know, the, the, the Australians uh, and the, then there was a similar organization in New Zealand and then, of course, within the UK. Um, what I found, what, what I wish I kind of knew more about was that at the higher levels, there were these unifying organizations, these functional but also strategic groups that worked on how do we how do I how do we unify at this high level to drive success on the battlefield downrange? And I think if I look at what I'm doing now, you know, I've been in Interos again for 18 months, 
what wasn't clear to me, and now we're we're moving into this, right? My first job was director of federal, you know, of, of strategic alliances for the federal team in Enteros. But now we've kind of, we're looking at it from a global public sector view, right? Because there, there are these unifying um, organizations out there within Five Eyes and within NATO that are thinking about these supply chain issues at, at a sufficiently high level to drive the kind of work we're doing right now. That's Some of it's just getting legislated. And so I think we were operating in an environment in while I was in uniform that was very structured, very structured and highly, you know, regulated, if you will. Um, and now in tech, in national security and in defense, we're we're still waiting for some of that regulation. So how do we drive that? You know, and it's the the very, you know. In the counter ID community, right? There's a very bottom-up approach. These these folks, they're they're staring at these devices downrange, and they're like, "Well, let's grab a, a two-liter water bottle, an explosive charge, and see if we can soak the electronic components in that device." And that created this entire industry of tools and tool sets and SOPs. So, what what are we doing now? What are practitioners doing now that we can leverage and then tie into those unifying functions? Because, and I think I said this at offset. Um, you know, we recently uh, attended an event in the UK and, and one of the speakers said from a Five Eyes perspective that our collective acquisition process is itself a strategic deterrent, right? Developing capability with capacity and, and credibility. And so how do, we, how do we ensure a resilient supply chain underneath that? Because you can't develop a single capability without that supply chain, right? So we need that unifying function at that high level. We need to view it from that perspective. And then, but we also need practitioners who are out there doing it right now. There are companies that are managing a supply chain that is fragile and highly technical and global, and they're doing it. So how do we, how do we connect them, right? And that's what we try to do with our, with our platform. Supply chain is one of those issues where I think we've all talked about the problem for a while. And I think we've all I had maybe different vantage points, but a shared sense of frustration over, you know, a perceived level of like inaction or mm. underinvestment or maybe underappreciation um, from the government. What are you guys seeing now in terms of? you know, signaling either from the Hill or mm. the White House or the building on, hey, not only are folks starting to take it seriously, but we're yeah. also starting to, to understand that, like, it's a strategic lever. And if it's a strategic lever for us, it's an attack surface for an adversary, vice versa. Right. 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 It's, a, yeah. it's a tool we could be leveraging. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so I'll say, I think, you know, a little tongue in cheek. Um, but we sometimes say like COVID showed the world what a supply chain was. And then Ukraine, the invasion of Ukraine demonstrated the fragility of some of those supply chains, specific supply chains around certain materials and things like that. And, and then how do you, at, at the rate that entities are being sanctioned, how do you ensure they are not somewhere in your supply chain, right? That's a due diligence. That's a, a regulated environment. How do you respond to that? So I think right now, if I could actually, I'll, 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 a little bit 
talk around the question initially, but this I'll, is a safe space. I won't call you yeah, out. Yeah, for yeah. Not no, 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 no. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um, and I will apologize. Sir, I request at, the reability to yeah. just bullshit my as, way through this. Question. As a Canadian, I will apologize right now. Um, so, but the, what we're seeing in this highly regulated environment is that as the government, you know, we have government customers, obviously we also have large commercial customers and I think the way it's normally done, when the government kind of puts in flow down clauses in contracts, thou shalt not, right? There's statements around ensuring the integrity of your supply chain or Section 889 in the National Defense Authorization Act. Those create this, uh, th those are, um, um, that's just a regulated environment. But what we're seeing is that there's an industry and government collaboration. It's not turning into this finger pointing exercise of, Government looks in the platform, sees an exposure to, um, you know, a, a sanctioned entity somewhere, gets on the phone and says, "What are you doing?" It's, "Hey, how do we solve this?" So, what I'm, what, where that goes to is, I think right now we're seeing, you know, on the hill and in the building, a, um, it is a bipartisan issue. There, there is no, uh, there, there's, there, this is one area where we can all agree that it has to be tackled um, collaboratively, not just as a bipartisan issue, but with industry, right? And it, not in the true sense of a public-private partnership, um, but in the sense of, like, we can't solve this alone. Industry isn't going to solve this alone. The entire, you know, I think I saw a GAO report that said DOD has somewhere north of 200,000 um, suppliers in, its, in, in the DIB, if you will. That's a lot, right? It, you can't manage that manually. It doesn't matter how you try. It doesn't matter how many people you well, throw at that problem. Assuming they've got it counted correctly, right? Right, if exactly. The audits well, seen, are an indicator yeah, 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 of any yeah. of their like data cleanliness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, but I've seen 365,000 in another report, yeah. right? So somewhere in there, there's companies that maybe it's the a GAO- solid margin of error. That is, that is. And and that that to us is like, well- you know, that's actually what we're talking about. Yeah. You are you are doing business with companies that you maybe don't know you're doing business with. So identify, like, first of all, understanding that there is a problem, right? So COVID again, identify, you know, everyone, our CEO says, you know, her, 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 her mom didn't really know what she did for a living before COVID. And then everyone knew what a supply chain was, but she's been doing this for 18 years. So I think um, we're seeing... I, I'm only seeing great strides, actually, right, in this unifying effort within, like, on the hill and within the building. And and some of it is, hey, we're going to create more regulations, right? The, um, you know, obviously Section 889 is a, is, a, is a start point, but the National Defense Authorization Act will be updated. There will be additional companies. There will be, you know, the Uyghur Forced Labor Protection Act. Um, that that Those types of regulations will continue to drive behavior in the market, right? Who do you do business with and how do you ensure that you aren't doing business with them down, you know, upstream in your supply chain? So I think w we are seeing that like a very good step forward at, at sort of at, at every level where, where I think we still need help, right? Is how do we get technology into the government? How do we Right. So, you know, of course, this whole collaboration, this this effort is around um, speed to market, speed to value. Yeah. Right. And the government market is a is a tough market. It's a highly regulated market. There are 
you know, we have contract vehicles and contracting requirements. So create the requirements and let us answer them. Like that's, that's it, right? And then how do we bring that technology into the department at scale? Well, frankly, it's by finding the right partners, which again, going from what Interos was, you know, sort of our structure around this a federal team, we're now a global public sector team because things like AUKUS matter, right? We've got a new trilateral agreement around a capability to be deployed into the Pacific, right? And that is a large global supply chain. So how do we, you know, how can we work with within the industry and those governments to ensure that that supply chain is, well, is resilient, right? Yeah, I think there's one, I mean, I, Appreciate that you thought that was a bullshitty answer. I oh, I didn't think it was, think it was, was a great answer. I, just, I might have overinterpreted your, yeah, yeah, yeah. your Canadian just, apologist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have to. It's actually codified in Canada that I have to apologize. No, I think ones. I think the the interesting question, right? There's, I mean, there's absolutely. Hey, how do I inject? How do we make sure we've got the right folks involved? Mm. How do we make sure that supply chain and the associated like transparency or maybe that's the right word, resiliency yeah. um, is something that's not a, oh yeah, and? Yeah. And yeah. it's something worth thinking about, especially, and I mean, you and I have sort of shared backgrounds or yeah. running around on the ground, right? Like there was no real non-permissive environment. Like we didn't, we still kind of got our asses kicked mm. and it was really permissive. So what happens when, yeah. like, you know, you start talking AUKUS Pillar 2 with the tech transfers and stuff like that, and we get into, like, an actual A2AD or an actual, you know, non-permissive, yeah. near-peer comms denied, pick your, whatever the Pentagon bingo buzzword is yeah. of the day for it. Um, supply chain really matters at that point. Yeah. Because <laughs> you might have to disaggregate it and change the way it's functioning. Well, so how do you bring that up to the strategic level for for some of the folks thinking about that? Right? Yeah, right. The million dollar question. Yeah, yeah. I think. Um, well, first of all, you know, th there's an inherent a level of curiosity that you need to have to explore this because there. I'm sure I haven't encountered them, but I'm sure there are people in industry and government that look at it and say, "I'd rather not know the answer to some of the questions." I have absolutely encountered those people. Right. Yes. So they exist. It's like, hey, I found something bad. They're like, nope, if you tell nope. me I'm liable. Exactly. And I was like, so it, oh. <laughs> so there's an inherent level of curiosity that leaders need to take on to tackle this problem. I think the other thing I would say is we we are we are separating too many things on the table. And you know, I use um, I think the term you know in software development is like secure by design. Why why are we not looking at the entire supply chain as a secure by design um, with, a th with through that lens of secure by design. Um, you know, how do you de-risk future work for the government, right? So I know most, most companies that prime work and bring on subcontractors do a capability analysis. They do their vendor due diligence, and that's a snapshot in time of that company at that moment, their financials, what other capabilities. And then two months later, it's all, it could all be different, it's right? Just like clearing a road of IEDs. That's, it, that's exactly it. It's it is this, only green while you are standing on the spot. Is it a forever Second war? you move off of it. Yep. Right, right. So, so that inherent level of, of curiosity that's required, you know, you have to be asking questions constantly. So, you know, our platform is not a silver bullet. 
But it is a tipping and queuing mechanism. It is continuously monitoring hundreds of millions of unique business entities around the world in real time and news sources so that you can, you can you know, see a supply chain event that has occurred in real time and then say, is that company that just got affected by that anywhere in my supply chain and how am I impacted? Rather than this rearward looking thing of, hey, we have a problem, let's fix it. Right? It's how do you lean forward into that? And you can't do that, one, without technology, but really you need automation. You need to be able, you need that, that predictive ability to say, well, you know, in this area, uh, and, and use like catastrophic risk as an example, right? Down to 10 by 10 grid squares on a map to say, hey, in a few months, 20 years of data tells us there's probably going to be a series of storms that hit that area. So you may need, do you need to engage those suppliers early? Do you need to take an action? Is there something you can do? And so I think that's, that's really what I would say. The secure by design is, is an important element of this as well. I mean, we are, you know, so our government customers that use us, I'll, I'll say the best are leaning well forward into that. And they're, 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 engaging with us directly and not in the sense of, hey, can you do this? It's, hey, we uncovered something and we want your help to understand it better, right? That's, that's, that's the issue, I think, in supply chain right now. And, and so if you get into a contested environment, now, now how do you, how do you, do we look at our supply chain, those vulnerabilities and say, what happens if it's not a storm? What happens if there's a, an event in the South China Sea, yes. right? I mean, that's the easy one that <laughs> insert sort of, of exactly you know anecdotal disruption exactly in yeah. exchange yeah. for some historical deviation. Yeah, that's right. Here's the I mean the one I don't think I'd shame on me. I don't think I'd thought about the sort of tipping and queuing as a hey this can help us prepare for and predict and maybe plan against some likely disruptions that yeah. will come that are yeah. maybe environmental or mm. um, cyclical in nature. That's awesome. Like, I definitely hadn't thought about it. I was more thinking of like, hey, how do I just remove sort of any ghosts that are in the shell and like yeah. weird, you know, third, fourth tier, you know, three to N tier supplier. As you think about sort of, let's just use 5i, mm -hmm. right? And you think about sort of that kind of like tightly bound partners and allies. Is there an opportunity to sort of almost stack supply chains and maybe have different configs like they're almost a thinking of like a flight deck or a spectrum sort of range where mm. I've got some that are on different freaks because if one goes down, the whole thing doesn't go down. Yeah. Or are we setting ourselves up for failure with so many different working groups and trilateral steering committees and buy and trilats to sort of unify things? Like what is... What is the right way to do it? Uh, I definitely have no answer. I'm expecting yeah, yeah. you to say, but yeah, yeah. this is genuine curiosity. So, so, well, I'll say, I think, actually, this is a, a, a high-level answer, right? But competition, right? Like, not to go down this road of capitalism, or in, but, but that kind of competition in industry fosters that kind of resiliency, right? Like, resilience is the ability to back you know, to, to bounce back from an event. We also, when we think about operational resilience, we also think about understanding the risk. It's not just the ability to bounce back. It's, it's understanding the risk that, that, that is associated with those events. Um, but having, you know, these monster primes and 
organizations around the world. And AUKUS, frankly, is a great example of uh, an, an agreement that's going to drive work across, you know, in multiple large prime contractors in three different countries that have supply chains that are global, right? So where what you're talking about is like concentration risk, right? Like somewhere in that third tier, and we have examples of that, you know, we can illustrate it from, you know, from the perspective of like noble gases or, you know, February 25th of last year, people were looking around saying, uh, where are we getting our titanium from again, right? Like, like, and realizing, oh man, it, the majority of it's coming out of Russia. So that's concentration risk. And so that's actually, you know, when you have that continuous monitoring, you know, everything that we do within the platform, the technology, the technological capabilities, finding those, like finding those alternate pathways to success, to delivery success on the program, on the project. And that's actually one of some of the work we're doing for the U.S. government, right? So within the Department of Defense, one of our customers has, you know, 70 odd projects going. Each of them have a unique supply chain. What we've identified is that you may think you have 70 unique supply chains. What you have are 70 prime contracts and then of that second and third tier start yeah. to overlay. I, was just and, saying, I, bet, yeah. I bet there's a lot well, of shared nodes in that in it, that supply chain. It actually gets, it's even more interesting, right? Because when we start talking about things like critical infrastructure, energy, for example, we did a study a little while ago, sometime last year, I think early last year, where we looked at the aerospace and defense industry and oil and gas, sort of the top 10 or top 20 in each. And at that first tier, the third party vendors, it's like a seven to 10% sort of shared, you know, first tier or third party suppliers. At the second tier, it was pushing north of 75% because now we're talking about engineering firms. We're talking about technology firms that support aerospace and defense. But if you are a highly technical, you know, engineering firm, you're supporting aerospace and defense. And then in your commercial market, it's oil and gas. It's, it's fittings. It's these, these uh, components, right? And so that is where where also the light bulb's got to go off. It's not just Five Eyes. It's not just looking at it from the UK MOD, D&D in Canada or DOD here. It's saying, hey, what about critical infrastructure? What about that overlap with oil and gas, with those other industries? And where, where are those risks? And how do, we, how do we start to not plan for them, but how do you start to get smart on the risk? You know, visualize it in a meaningful way and then actually... I mean, mitigate it, right? We don't do the mitigation, but we will make our customers, they will have an opportunity to make better business decisions, which I think is really what, I mean, you know, what, what we're, we're driving at, towards, right? right? Like this, this almost just becomes a, a national security or national level imperative, right? It's, it's yeah. making making sort of supply chains and the the resiliency and sort of the, again, pick your right, yeah, the yeah. right sort of qualifier attributes, but making that imperative, that's awesome. Um, I definitely don't think I thought about it that way in, in as much detail. So, yeah, well, I mean, we live it right. And, and I think again, 18 years of history in government, we, we've, you know, since 2018, we've been growing in the commercial market. Think about banks. Oh yeah. Right. Mergers and acquisitions, these firms, that, companies. Now right. Right. Reporting. So how do you, you know, and, and then. We, we look at these you know, hundreds of millions of entities around the world. The only way to make it useful is to, is to you know, pare it down into these buckets 
And, it, you know, within the government, that's pretty easy because we do it at the program level yeah. or we do it at the project level. Within industry, they segment it however they, they want, but we help them make sense of all of this data. And we couldn't, you can't do this with people in spreadsheets. Oh, like, 100%. So it's yeah. not scalable. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So we're coming up to the end. Cool. Last question I ask, I've, I've got these handlers. They're very keen on, I have to have structure in this show. Oh, I have bucked every other modicum of how you're supposed to do a podcast intentionally. Yep. I get it. Um, last question is always about sort of, Hey, you finish work, you know, you're, Hey, I've done enough. Hang up the spurs or I don't know what the Canadian Mountie hats called, but now they do a I. Billy hat. I don't know. I don't know. It sounds like it could be it. Um, it is today. <laughs> <laughs> what is what is sort of what does the next phase look like? Like what is what is chilling? I always talk about hey, you know, four or five acres on a mm. river, you know, maybe on the side of a mountain where I've got a big outdoor kitchen, dogs running around, yeah. hanging out. Um, what's that look like for you? That's a great. <laughs> that's a good question because I tell people, I say I have no intention of stopping working, right? Like. Um, I'm going to keep going. If that, if there's a moment where I say, you know, I'll hang up the spurs or put the snowshoes on the wall. Um, I think, uh, I actually, I think I'd end up in academia. I think I'd end up teaching, you know, and little known fact before I joined the army for a brief period, I actually was a teacher. Um, what'd you teach? I actually taught at a, uh, at a private school for kids with uh, behavioral and learning disabilities. So I taught everything, but I had like a class of seven kids and it was an amazing, strong experience. parallel to being an infantryman. I like, I like that. I could not, I could not let that hang there, man. I think it was the perfect oh, one too. Ah, that hurt. That, that hurt. Um, yeah. So I, I, I would, I would honestly say I'd find myself there. I love my time at the schoolhouse yeah. in the infantry at the infantry uh, school in Canada. Um, I could, I would definitely find myself back teaching in some capacity. I think. I think that's an awesome answer. I think it also speaks, not to sort of blow some smoke at you before we, we wrap up here, mm. but it's a testament to sort of your commitment to service, um, yeah. which is cool. That like even when, hey, you're done with the work, it could be about you. The first place you go mentally is to continue to give, um, and help lift other people up. So I appreciate that answer a ton. Well, I would say the the four or five acres, but um, you can I, come hang out. Well, I'll I, cook for you. I grew up, you know, in the middle of nowhere, and my grandfather had a six hundred and sixty acre farm around the corner. And like, I mean, if you think you're going to live on five acres and not work every day, you're wrong. <laughs> it's a lot of work, man. That's fair. But That's uh, fair. I, uh, but I will. I'll come visit, which is you know, we had a friend. He had a few acres outside of Ottawa, and we'd go visit every now and again when it was fun. When the work needed to happen, we were all busy. Oh, yeah. Everyone's right? got something like, to do. Yeah, no, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, man. Can't dig post holes today. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, brother, man, thanks for the time today. Appreciate this it, This is awesome. Yeah. And uh, excited to continue to follow the success of the company. Thank you. You too. Personally. You guys too. So thanks, man. Appreciate thanks it. Tuning in, guys. Thanks. Wow. Look at you. You made it to the end. Thanks for listening. Hope you learned something. Don't forget to leave a passive-aggressive review. It wouldn't be a podcast without some show notes. So check them out to learn more about me, Second Front. Stay weird. <laughs>